This podcast explores the Holochain programming pattern and the emerging peer-to-peer ecosystem. Holochain combines ideas from BitTorrent, which is the long-standing peer-to-peer downloading of media files online. It combines ideas from Git versioning software, which is a distributed version control system for tracking changes in computer code during software development, along with cryptographic signatures, peer-to-peer validation, and gossip protocol. With this combined capacity, Holochain apps are versatile, resilient, scalable, and thousands of times more efficient than blockchain where no token or mining is required. Holochain mimics scalable patterns in nature to take us beyond blockchain and is an open source framework for building fully distributed peer-to-peer applications. The purpose of Holochain is to enable humans to interact with each other by mutual consent to a shared set of rules without relying on any authority, including blockchain consensus mechanisms, to dictate or unilaterally change those rules. Peer-to-peer interaction means you own and control your data with no intermediary like Google, Facebook, Amazon, or Uber collecting, processing, selling, or losing your information. In this episode, we interviewed Gene Russell. Gene acted as a project lead for Holohost's initial community offering, which is the hosting app that sits on top of Holochain. She's a co-director of the Commons Engine and product owner of the HAPS team at Holohost. She's an author of multiple books including Cultivating Flows, How Ideas Become Thriving Organizations, and Thrivability, Breaking Through to a World That Works. In this interview, we covered a lot of ground around what Holochain is, what the hosting app on top of Holochain is, currencies and value flows, the modular design of Holochain apps, and what she sees possible with Holochain. I asked her some pretty on-the-spot tough questions and was blown away by her deep, thoughtful responses. There were a lot of new concepts, but if you're looking to really understand Holochain, this is a perfect conversation to digest. Thank you very much, Jean, for taking the time out to share with with the world what you're doing. What project or activity are you doing on Holochain Protocol? I was brought on in August of 2017 to be the project lead for the ICO. And so after the ICO completed, I switched into two different roles simultaneously. First off, I am the product owner for the HAPS team. So building applications on top of Holochain as part of how the team is testing, does Holochain work? What does that look like? What feedback do they need in order to keep building? And then the other role that I have is as co-director of the Commons Engine, which is interested in building HAPS on Holochain in order to support the growth of the Commons and a Commons economy. What I find really amazing is that that crowd sale happened, and this is what really stood out to me, is it happened during a time when it was kind of like crowd sales weren't doing very well. Yet this one, Holochain comes along and still does, has a powerful following. And despite what's happening in the, in the rest of the financial market side of things, Holochain is, is sort of steaming ahead. What, what do you think was the success for that during such tough times? For the ICO or, or the yeah, Indiegogo for the, campaign? For, uh, for the initial coin offering. Yeah. 
community offering, actually. Yes. And um, I'm sure that I don't know the complete answer to that. Like, I'm convinced that we often are not um, not fully cognizant of what's affecting the value of our, our currency. But I, I do think that we did several things um, that do matter. And the first is that we, we really built our community first. And that had to do with the, the crowdfunding that where we, you know, sold holoports and holo nanos and all of that stuff. And building just an ecosystem of people who are interested in the project overall. So there's a stable base of people who are invested in the future that we're describing. I think it also comes from having a clear, like, long-term vision. And there's this stuff about Scepter. So if you're interested in, like, where are we really going for this? You know, we've got a view of 50 years from now. This is what this looks like. So there's a contingent of our audience that's like, oh, they see where this could go and are not just in for the next round. There's a long-term vision for how this stuff unfolds. I think that matters. I think the way of our communicating about what's happening in the dev world and continuing to show like, oh, we've got this piece done. Oh, this is what's happening now. And we're engaging with developers and doing hackathons all over the world and really letting people, inviting people to get their hands dirty playing with it and then engaging them in what's working and not working there. I think a piece of it was having, you know, when we wrote our green paper, we already had working code. So it wasn't like we wrote the paper and then we said we'd build it. It's like we had working code and we're somewhat delayed by having refactored into a different code base, but we had something there. I think that mattered. That mattered too. Touching more on the, the hollow ports that got sold before the initial community offering. Um, yep. And that's where I sort of got involved. Uh, what are the hollow ports? Because mm -hmm. for people discovering this new hollow chain world, just yeah. like as it was difficult discovering how telephones work or TCIP worked or, you know, that, that everyone's learning something new all the time. What is the hollow port for? And why did you launch the hollow port before the, the initial community offering? So the hollow ports are ways for people to engage in owning and operating your own server. And part of that is about building out this network of like, we are our own cloud. So instead of paying for Amazon or Google or somebody else to like hold your cloud for you, uh, we are doing it ourselves. And so the Holo, which runs on top of Holochain, is about kind of like the Airbnb of cloud hosting so that each of us can be hosting a little bit of the web together as a bridge from the world of Holochain to a regular browser so that you could go into a regular browser interface and plug in a URL, and now you're tapping onto a holoport that's hosting an application that's from the Holochain world. It could also be that you're a participant in the Holochain world and you're sharing server space with others there. And so there's a beautiful transition model from like the world as it is today towards the distributed world of Holochain via these, um, these bridges, the holoports. And using that as a way that people could actually be earning revenue by being hosts in the way that Airbnb allows you to be a host. So my phone eventually could be, um, you know, this was the original Ethereum dream that my phone could eventually be a verifier on this decentralized network. But obviously that hasn't played out at this point in time and not capable of these new capacities that Holochain is uh, providing developers. But the next thing is that when people are sort of discovering this whole new uh, ecosystem, which I very much enjoy discovering. Uh, so Hollow Host is a, is basically a hosting company that sits on top of um, on this Hollow Chain protocol, just like you would 
create um, pieces of software that sit on top of the TCIP, TCP IP protocol or HTTPS protocol. Uh, is, that how, is that how it works? And it, provide, and it just literally provides a service of hosting. And then maybe for people in the Ethereum world, the, way, the best way that they could understand it is that browsers don't, um, they're not sort of completely natural or um, there's not a seamless connection between the Holochain protocol and uh, the browser interface. So they in invented this idea of a browser um, plugin called MetaMask. But you guys are taking it a lot in a much uh, clearer way and, and seamless way of actually just providing a hosting company that just interfaces with the Holochain technology. Does that sound about right? That's right. So Holochain is like we're all sharing the load with each other. And so there's not a like, I'm not charging you for hosting because you're holding some of mine and I'm holding some of yours. So there's a shared um, sense there. But if people are visiting from the web, then they are... They, they're not carrying their own load. And so that load has to be carried by somebody. Um, just like if I'm visiting a town, I'm going to use an Airbnb there and somebody else has to own it and, and host that. And I, I pay them or the application provider is actually paying them to provide that hosting so that people can visit. And this is really important for adoption because it means that not everybody using a Holochain application needs to even know that they are using a Holochain application. Right, they're going to a website. They think that they're just on that website and doing things there, and they don't even know that on the backside there's Holochain that's running it. And I, I think that's really important. And I think that played into the uh, initial community offering also because it was like we're being responsible. There's an infrastructure that we're building around the servers, and then we've got a token that's about paying for that server use. And so, like tying the amount that we were asking for for tokens to the amount of uh, server space that's going to be provided felt like it was a responsible way to say we're trying to create an economy. Um, so that's one of the reasons why those two things were so closely tied together. Thanks for sharing that. You know, the big question with these distributed systems is how do they get scalability or how can they deal with lots of requests? What's the backend technology that's really driving this? I've obviously been a BitTorrent user for many, many years and I've definitely experienced the fastest downloads times ever in my life and realized and wondered oh wow is my internet connection even capable of that and you know it's 10 times than what you've seen before with just went with bit torrents like downloading movies on the internet so what made you guys use a proven technology like distributed hash tables in this or, yeah how did that idea come about or that synergy it seems like a perfect sort of like match in in a lot of ways yeah so I wasn't a developer that was in that conversation to be able to answer, like, how did that idea come about? Um, but I can say that so much of this is about back solving. It's like, okay, if we want this outcome, what are the things that we need to add in there? How do we solve? So what's a scalable solution? You know, what would nature do in this situation? And then can we see something that's been practiced that proves whether that concept works? And so that was one of the reasons that I heard that we went that route was just like, what would nature do? And is, is there a model that works that we're aware of? Yeah, it's amazing. The, um, uh, from what I've seen in this early adoption of Holochain, the, the type of people doesn't seem to be coming from one industry. It's again, you know, just like what we, what we saw with the cryptocurrency industry. This is bringing another group of people from all walks of life to the forefront of this decentralization movement or peer-to-peer -peer movement where you guys are taking it.
So now that people sort of understand a little bit more about the Holo hosting, there's a currency called HOT, and obviously you guys are thinking about uh, you know currency design, and it's a lot bigger than just having one token or something, or just in you know I see token economics as just one little subset of this uh, value flows, which is it's a tiny thing, isn't it? Yeah. And it's more mimicking what happens in nature, like when the trees, the leaves fall off the, the tree and they drop on the ground. That's a, That could be seen as a value flow for all the bugs on the ground. Yeah, like it's fascinating. Can you elaborate more on what's, what you see as possible with all this value flow or currency recognition? I want to hear what you have to say about it. Ooh. Just the tip of the iceberg for me. So I got involved in this work with Arthur and Eric and Farananda um, back in the mid-naughts. So like 2005, 2008, we were doing alternative currency work and interested in not just like alternatives to money, but all the things that incentivize a flow in a system. And it was exciting when blockchain came around because suddenly it was like there was an uptick in awareness around alternative currency. Like now the general population is ready for it and sees, sees the need. Um, meanwhile, having done work in things like impact assessment for social change efforts, you know, and a whole bunch more metrics coming into the business world. And it's like all of these things are different forms of currencies that incentivize flow of behavior. You take an action because you're aware of this number or you know, this indicator and how do we help facilitate those in ways that make for healthy systems? And some of those might be reputation currencies. So like, you know, the team having juicy conversations about like, what are different ways that we can develop reputation systems that help to um, improve the quality of our experiences and help people match make between things that, that matter to them. And I think Matthew sometimes maybe gives the example on something like a car sharing so it's not just about like a one to five rating. It's also like, do you like a chatty driver? And some people love to talk to their drivers and other people really want silence. And so how do you have a reputation indicator that allows you to pick the chatty driver if that's what you like and avoid them if you don't, right? And so like sometimes we use numbers for those things and it oversimplifies. And then there's constellations of currencies. So how do those work together? So I might have indicators like the chatty, not chatty, I might have number of rides, like, oh, they're an experienced driver, they've done this many years of service or this many rides in the past um, and completed them. What else could we have in there? We could also talk about what impact that their car has on the environment. Like, did they offset their, their uh, carbon footprint? Did they pay for that to happen or not? You know, like there's all sorts of things that we could put into a system um, in order for people to make more choiceful, um, to bring more choice into to the actions that they're taking into the world and thus allow you to navigate, you know, oh, I want more of that or less of that. And, and to me, it's also not about like, because one or the other is a better thing. It's about your preference, like what matters to you as a participant in the ecosystem. Right, yeah. You know, you wrote a book called Thriveability, uh, or a couple of books, mm -hmm. um, and so I can see there's a huge. This is a huge history, and but what attracted you to Holochain? And then you're you're also part of the Scepter project. Do you want to explain a little bit, uh, as best as you can, about Scepter, and then what attracted you to to actually 
you know, this need of building Holochain for a greater purpose of fulfilling the SEPTA vision. Yeah, so much ground. It's a big conversation, but yeah. It is, it is. So I was working for a financial planner, a philanthropic advisor, who sent me into an online community to research uh, what they were doing with philanthropy there. And I discovered Arthur and his uh, work on targeted currencies, uh, which I think is what he was calling it at the time, and just found it fascinating. It just really excited me. Um, and so that's where my journey with this pretty much began was 2005, 2006 on the Amidiar network. And a piece of that had to do with feedback loops into social change, philanthropy, like how do you know that you're making the impact that you want to be making? And how do you make the whole thing a little bit more liquid? Like how do you lubricate the process? We get stuck kind of on money buying everything and how can we instead use time or energy or knowledge or skills or relationships in order to access and lots of nonprofits do this quite well having people come in and work pro bono like how do we use and leverage those kinds of skills um, in managing multiple forms of cash flow right it's not just cash it's forms of capital uh, so that was something that interested me when I got involved in 2005 or so and then we had uh, the open money gathering in 2008 and that was more getting, we're starting to tip into the meta currency world where people were talking a bit about alternative currency, but it was like, there's time banking, there's mutual credit, is there one currency to rule them all? And the meta currency thing went, ah, oh, there's patterns in all of this. Like, how do we just provide the patterns in a way that allows people to create the currency systems that work in their context? Like there's wisdom in how to do these well and it's almost like knobs and dials, like in this context, set it to five, in this one, set to seven, right? Like figuring um, all of those things out. So that's a piece of like, how, how did I get involved? What was I interested in? It's like, how do I make the entire ecosystem more effective and facilitate the flows within that ecosystem for greater health? When it was the Great Depression, there's still buildings there. There's still people there. There's still tools there. What's, where's the, blo the blockage solving the currency issue? with all these new patterns or even old patterns. That's what I saw. Was I've been part of the Let's community in Brisbane for many years. It was just it was just like, we've just got to like think about things differently. But yeah, sorry, go, go on. I was just like showing why people, um, why solving the currency issue or providing currency patterns is really important because then you never have a conversation about lack of funding. And we do this in certain contexts and we're aware of like, oh, well, Jenny is having a birthday party. What are you going to contribute? Like we do it in these small contexts, but we can actually form those agreements to do it in larger contexts. And how, so how do we scale up that kind of cooperation where like you're bringing the balloons and I'm bringing the cake and we're each, you know, contributing to the larger whole and we feel in reciprocity about it, right? Like it's important in all of that, that I feel like you bringing the balloons makes sense and me bringing the cake because I've got the flower at my house, right? Like, how do we make sure that in those agreements that we feel like we've each done our part uh, and nobody's being taken unfair advantage of? And that's part of like, why do you create an, an embodied form for it is so that everybody can see, oh, that was, that was fair. We've made an agreement about how this works. So I, I don't want to go too much into scepter land, 
but I would say that was grown out of metacurrency and has to do with like, what does real thriving communities look like and how do they interoperate? And so they, I was not part of some of these conversations that went off into the like 50 years from now, what does this look like? Um, But Holo and Holochain were born out of the coming back, like, okay, where are we today? And what is a step that we can take that moves us towards this world of, of real effective flows. And so they bit off a small chunk of, of the whole scepter vision and said, let's take this one first. Uh, and that's why we're working on these pieces today. Wow. So now let's, so yeah, thank you very much for, now people have an idea that scepter is a huge vision that I really see it's, it's going to happen. And this is one of the first building blocks to making that possible. Do you want to talk more about specifically about what you're doing in the community? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I, I will say, I will say one thing about yeah. Scepter. It's like Eric will get all excited and talk about expanding grammatic capacity. And then people are like, what, <laughs> what does that even mean? And it's like, well, if the way that writing went when we were able to then communicate better by writing, like what is it to be able to speak a currency into being? Like how do we create the tools that enable flows just by expressing ourselves in the way that we express language. And there's something like super powerfully um, transformative about that. And at the same time, mostly mind blowing to people because that much sense of agency of like, I just speak it into being and create it is, is yeah, a lot. It's powerful. Yeah. My brain's buzzing with all the possibilities there because we do literally just speak ourselves into existence in a way. But now here we are creating patterns where everyone gets to create the rules and then we see we create these larger patterns or rules or organic agreements, uh, which is kind of like sort of solves the whole smart contract issue as well. Yeah. Yes. If I say I owe you 20, like it counts as a check if we have enough trust between us, right? Like I just initiated a currency. It's gene currency with Thomas. Like I owe you 20, <laughs> And so we do, we do currently have some of that power, but to do that well at scale takes a lot of social coordination. And so we need to grow our muscle around like, what is the way that we govern these social forms together? What is the way that we feel in integrity with each other? How do we know we're not getting taken advantage of or others are taking advantage of us? Like, how do we grow our capacity to hold these things together responsibly? Mm. And what's coming to my mind now is that's the whole agent centric approach that this um, new computing system is, is providing for everybody. And so, yeah, uh, you're the DAP product manager at, at Holo or is it Holo Chain? Or? Right now they're under the same corporate entity. So I wouldn't say that like, yeah, I wouldn't make that distinction. Okay, cool. So what does that entail? Yeah, so at first it was like, what's an application that we really want to build for ourselves so that we have something that we want to use? And so we were working on like a communication tool for that. And, and then we were thinking a little bit more broader about communication tools in general. And, you know, can we build something that like more people than just our organization will use? And then it's come back a little bit to like, oh, there's just base functionality that when we do our alpha release, we need to be able to have people do an action and have that work. And so it's been challenging because we're building on top of a code base that's shifting while we're building. So we like, we write an application and then, oh, now it's broken because the code has been updated. And so we have to come back and write it again for the, 
new form for that. Um, and so it's been a dance with like communicating with the core team. Oh, we need this to work and, um, and testing that out. And so that's been a load of fun. And I think the most, the most exciting thing that's happened recently yeah, go. Um, has been, we were working with uh, an existing company who has um, GraphQL as their database management. And just to be able to like mash whole chain as a backend on the GraphQL was like super exciting. Like, what does that make possible? You know, it just means that if you've got an existing um, solution already out there and it's got GraphQL, we've proven that it can be tied in um, to a whole chain backend, which makes it <laughs> much easier. You're not having to always code everything directly from scratch yeah, in yeah. order to be building a whole chain. So but we've been having tons of fun. That's cool. Is that is that our, the REA project? It is not, although that will make room for the REA project because they are also on a GraphQL. Cool. My housemate, Sam, he's working on the, the REA project. That'll be a future interview where people can learn about resource event agent accounting, which is another beautiful thing. So, yeah. There's so such a complementarity there between like currencies and accounting for multiple forms of capital. Like it's just, it's so sweet. We're very excited about it. I, I am too. It's, it seems like it's a holistic accounting approach instead of uh, just a tokenized one way, one view way of looking at things. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about uh, uh, the HAP development. So people are calling DAPs HAPs. Uh, That's right. Happy HAPs is what comes to my mind. Um, we actually registered a company called HAPs PTY LTD the other day. Aww. So yeah, like you're inspiring so many people. And there's a real groundswell coming. <laughs> it's already there at parts of it there. So it's, it's, it's going on. Um, but yeah, tell us more about you know, I'm app. remembering the little chat that we were having when when Will, who's Eric's son, um, he coined that term. He was like, it's not daps, it's haps. <laughs> and we were just like, totally, yes, that's it. It's great. Uh, yeah, so tell us more about the, the, the practical side of haps um, for non-developers and developers. Like there's next week there's the uh, the global dev camp happening which is going to be really cool. And how does someone get involved or, or what's the first thing people need to think about when designing a, a HAP? Yeah, that's not usually my responsibility to figure out what's the first step, right? Okay, I'm, cool. I'm usually a report. Um, but I can say this, like there's, there's many first entry points. You could come in from a, like, I already have an existing thing in the world. How do I, how do I do it on Holochain? That would be one, one way of approaching it. Um, but I think for so many of us, the thing that keeps coming up is that people keep thinking in terms of data-centric worldview. And it's so important to shift over to agent-centric worldview. And the, and the easiest way that we've found for people to understand this is like games are very agent-centric. Like they're, um, and, and to think in terms of like, Oh, what is the experience that I'm having? And I'm, I'm keeping all of my stuff with me as I'm moving through a game, um, I think is really important. So you're not dealing with like some siloed organization that is containing your data over there in some database over there. You are carrying your data on your chain in a way that you can interact with many different things there. And so there's, 
there's a real mind shift around what does it mean to create an application that supports agent centricity. And you can sort of back hack it and still do a bunch of the stuff that you do in a data centric world. But to really take advantage of Holochain, I think you have to understand that it's agent centric at the core. So what's coming to my mind is if I'm playing a, a Holochain or a computer game um, and I've got my inventory, which I keep on myself, and then I meet another game player, I guess it's my choice if I want to interact with that other peer in the in the game, which is exactly what happens in the real world as well. And then I guess I would be looking at the, these haps would be designed around because they're designed around the human um, and not what a corporate or you know a corporation wants to you know extract from a human, but the human gets to choose all, all you know what they're going to let you know release into the the, the greater world wide web. It, it allows for uh, what's coming to my mind is also it allows for large groups of people across the world to sort of reorganize around what their values mean or uh, which if they group together, then they become more powerful or they become just more effective. It's certainly a possibility, yeah. right? I, I feel a little concerned about making too much of a blanket statement about them becoming more, more, although I feel like I already have a couple of times. Um, it certainly is possible that they could become more powerful by bonding together. And, and there's a certain scaling function that can happen when the DHT is larger, like currencies in, in which only five people are operating aren't as interoperable as a currency suite that's got a thousand people running on it, um, makes it more interoperable with others. So does that... Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's also coming to my mind is that you see all these uh, cryptocurrencies on the internet at the moment, and they all have their specific one. A bit, they come they come across it as a bit tribal mentality, and you know the Bitcoiners, they're the Bitcoiners, the Ethereumers, you know. And I, I used to be an Ethereum person through and through. Um, you know, they have their specific sort of like view of the world, but then here you come across a platform that will just basically allow anyone to build to build. What their view of the world looks like in a, in a way and it's going to create this cambrian explosion of this amazing coordination as it seems like yeah and there's not holochain does not have a native currency and so you could build many many currencies on top of holochain holo has a currency holo fuel for hosting yep. um, but holochain itself does not um, and that, that to me is part of the Cambrian explosion of like, it's allowing many, many currencies to arise out of the same platform. I used to get a bit funny that, oh no, I've, I've you know, I have to deal with my Australian dollar currency and now I've got to deal with lots of other currencies. Is it going to be that everyone has like a wallet with lots of different currencies or, or is it going to be more just numbers, more mean thing, you know, like when you look at your Facebook profile, there's going to be more weight behind. Like that's that's what I've realized. A currency is more than just a um, more than just a yeah a one number in your wallet. It's it's actually going to be the backbed of of everything that comes on the screen of, of your of your of your apps. Yeah. So one, you're already using tons of currencies. You're using, yes, your national currency, whether that's, you know, your Australian dollar or your euro or whatever, like you're already using tons of you know, the national currency, but you're also using airline miles, which are another form of currency. Maybe you have a college degree, that's a currency. Maybe you send a letter through the old snail mail and use a stamp, that 
that is a currency. Like you are already managing many currencies. And so there's like this matrix moment in which you realize you are already swimming in a world of currencies. And now you can go from the 50 currencies that you're using on a daily basis to a thousand because we're doing it digitally in a way that's easier to manage. And so we can get greater and greater nuance around those currencies and the flows that they're facilitating because we have computers and and digital technology that allows us to navigate the rich textures of those spaces. Does that help? Oh, it definitely helps. Um, I mean, what's coming to my mind is that when I breathe in oxygen, uh, I'm actually, uh, it's a currency and uh, I don't even, I'm not even aware I'm doing it. And, and we could, you know, obviously we were not going to measure that one exactly. You know, it's not the, the goal exactly right now. Maybe in the future we might be doing, I don't know. But, I don't, yeah, not everything needs to In be. the right situation, you are measuring the amount of oxygen that's in your inhale. Yes. Yeah, true. Yeah, I, I guess that's where the observer is. Like maybe my brain is measuring how much oxygen it's p- pulling in in that breath in that moment right there and then. Well, I guess it does need to, doesn't it? So, yeah, that's that whole agent-centric approach again, like, where is the observer at the time? Well, which observer needs to measure what? Whereas maybe we don't need a global state on that. Um, yeah, so, that, oh, man, there's just so many things coming to mind. And it's, you know, like discovering the holochain world is like discovering blockchain all over again. But actually blockchain mm. is actually just, you can see that it's going to make a huge impact in the world. Massive. Like they used to describe a blockchain as alien technology and now, um, I, I, I would say that no, Holochain is alien technology. <laughs> the aliens. It's a weird folding, right? Because some some of the pieces, you know, predate blockchain, so some of them are quite familiar, and then in other ways, it's not. So um, yeah, but I think it's it's important to realize that like almost all of this stuff, you're touching it already, right? Like the future is. Here, it's just not evenly distributed. Isn't that what William Gibson says? Mm. Um, like you, you're already participating in lots of currencies. You're already making certain kinds of agreements. So this technology should just help facilitate to make more easy, right? Facilitate is to make more easy how we're doing those things and to make it easier to be like intentional. What is the agreement that we're making? And can you hold me to account to be accountable, um, to have accounting of the agreement that we've made and the actions taken around it. Another um, currency example that has just come to my mind is like our brain automatically keeps the tabs on everybody. Like, oh, who's funny? Oh, yeah, he's really funny. Uh, you know, she's really funny. Uh, you know, he's not as funny. So that's a currency as well, isn't it? There's like... Your brain keeps a tab on, okay, he's serious, or how serious, you know, that's it's all happening again. My my Siri, my Siri, Hi, Alex. my Siri's just gone off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like so that that's for the for the listeners, like that is another currency, isn't it? That, that our brain is doing all the time. I guess our brain's doing lots of currencies. Thousands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you've just helped me reach my matrix. Uh, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a little scary when you're like, oh, everything is touching on this, right? And I'm choosing who I'm going to have to the birthday party based on their funniness indicator, right? Like, mm. oh, yeah, most of those people are a plus five. 
on the on the funny indicator, they're going to be a great crowd to hang out with, right? If if that's what matters to you, where somebody else is like, well, I'm trying to have a serious discussion here, so I want everybody who's got good data, like who's what's what's their knowledge indicator. So mm-hmm. allowing people to sort for the things that matter to them, or in the context um, that they're trying to achieve something. How can we facilitate that? And, and, it, and the big thing here too is about scale, right? We're doing so much of the stuff if we're in a small group of 12 or even 150, right? The Dunbar number stuff. But like, how do we grow that to a different scale? And so a piece of what the driver is for the whole chain world is moving away from pyramidal structures where we lost that contextual information in order to get up to some agent that would decide things at the top and then percolate their rules and decisions back down to the bottom. So like, how do we actually interoperate um, in a way that's whole middle? So like I'm communicating with all the people and getting all the information about the context. And then I'm making decisions based on my position in that social graph based on my awareness. And so moving away from the pyramidal intelligence that like, while useful in order to scale um, loses a whole bunch of context and information that turns out to matter. So, which kind of stops all those feedback loops, and it, it's kind of like a, a big cancer in in a lot of contexts, um, because that feedback, the, the the value flows doesn't happen in a way that where our view of democracy is where everyone, you know, gets their say, and which is that, I guess that feedback. It's just sort of a, a bit broken right now because I guess we haven't had the. The, the protocols to make this possible and how here it is being born yes. on planet earth. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. To do it at this scale. Mm. Right. We know what those things look like when they're in smaller group scale. Yep. Yep. Cause we, yeah. Wow. Okay. Epiphany after epiphany. Another thing with HAPS is that it's all modular when designing these HAPS. And I guess that modular approach is making things easier to for everyone to build their their dream version of the of the hap a big hold up in the blockchain world has been that you know everyone owns their own front end but here it's it's like sure you can go and own your own front end and do that sort of thing or you can be part of something bigger and and you can share your modular code with the world and then people so basically there's haps haps bridge then there's this idea of bridging haps bridging to other haps do you want to explain more of your defi- definition of how that all works or the mechanics and then maybe what you see as possible with that type of collaboration? Yeah, I can explain it from product owner perspective. Like yep. you're going to have to get somebody else if you want it from code perspective. Yep. Uh, so for example, we were looking at this application that we were trying to develop for the internal team to use. And we were concerned about time zones because we're such a distributed team across the globe. And so we've got people in Australia and Europe and South America and the US. And how do we get everybody synced up? Like even just to schedule a meeting is kind of tricky because you you have to like calculate all the uh, time zone changes and everything. Oh, and then now it's summer and we're going to change again. And so we were developing an application that would just help with that kind of coordination. Like, let's just simply pull in maybe your Google calendar or whatever, and then have that generate a field that allows me to see, oh, here's the windows where you and I sync up, or here's this, our application development team, where the five of us are are overlapping in our availability so we can schedule a meeting. So we had that kind of running as a little tiny app, but it's more like 
it's more like a plug-in than it is a full-scale application. Like all you're doing is scheduling a meeting. So hold that for a second. Then we were like, oh, I really want to know like the, the amount of energy my teammates have because, you know, somebody's grandmother died, somebody got sick, somebody's traveling, um, somebody just went on vacation and now they're super energized, like wanting to know kind of the energy level of people that are coming so that I don't take it personally when you seem kind of cold to me today. I go, oh, actually, I know your energy level is a little bit old, you know, cold um, or down. And I might want to ask you about that. So then we had a system that was like life energy. It's like hearts, you know, like when you're playing a video game and you have your life energy hearts. So we had that as a little functionality that we were developing. It's not an application in and of itself, right? It's just a little bit too simple. Um, And then we were working on the chat thing and was like, oh, these things can integrate. So when I'm looking at your, your chat, Next to your name, I'm seeing how much life energy that you have. And as we're chatting, I can say, oh, let's schedule a meeting. So now let's pull in just that little chunk that's got the scheduler. Oh, and now that's a task. Can I send that to like some swim lane Kanban kind of management tool? Oh, we're kind of moving between various little applications. And very few of them are like an end-to-end application in the way that you'd think of like Trello as an entire application. There's these little chunks and maybe I like swim lane management and uh, you know project management, but you like something completely different. You know, you you're really into Gantt charts, and so how can we be using the same data, but you're looking at a Gantt chart and I'm looking at swim lanes? Can we make that work? You know, and there's some things that'll make that easy, and other places where that will break. And that's the kind of like bridging between applications, so that I'm looking at the project management view that works for me but we're accessing some of the same data about what we're trying to deliver, even though you're looking at like the Asana kind of view of that application. So that's what we mean by modular from my perspective. It's like, there's a chunk here, there's a chunk here. Maybe you don't like to use the heart thing, but we're both using the scheduling piece and and we're using some shared data source around the, the project management, but your view on it is different than my user interface for it. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it seems, again, it's that whole the- that, uh, theme of Adric-centric. And maybe, you know, the rest of the world's not going to be so modular in how they design their interface, but maybe they will. Maybe they, they'll get a taste of the power from a more enriching experience. It, it just seems like this, it seems like this, this word accumulative is coming to mind as well, that we're not going to be mm. redoing the same thing. Like, you know, if you want to create a profile, not everyone's going to have to go and create the 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 endpoint where the first name and last name you can just pull it from another hap that's already done it. It's, it almost feels like we have a hap for that. You do, yes, <laughs> yeah, and it's cool. I'm definitely, it's exciting. Uh, and so then it's like, oh, so we're not all having to work from level one. We can just come in into the hollow chain world and, and work from level one hundred um, and build the extra smaller bit of business logic that needs to come on top. It seems like it's, yeah, another thing is it's like APIs on steroids. Yes. I'm like, they're not little pipes. They're like big, thick pipes where things fit together more like puzzle pieces lock in. Like big, very thick APIs to me. Yeah, they really are. And for, a you know, someone who's designing a product, it seems like because you don't have to redo all the work from the start or from scratch, it's like the experience might be it's an already production ready boilerplate which in the code world is basically 
level one of, of starting a project, but this is a production-ready boilerplate. So you're using stuff already, you know, in production. So a client's ex- think ideas will go faster to market. Is it? Do you see that as possible? So. I do. I also want to say that there's a there's a separation too between like the user interface versus how the data is managed. And I think that that could be quite interesting because when we separate those two out, then people who are really gifted in developing user interface um, can be kind of matchmaking with useful data instead of having collapsed those things together. And now, oh, well, I really like the way the data is structured there, but I'm stuck with this ugly interface because the people who are good at data arrangement are not necessarily the people who are good at user experience. And so um, decoupling those things could be really good. It might be a little rocky too. I don't know. Like we're going to have to see how the ecosystem plays out. There's some some real opportunities there and and I hope they go well. Yeah, definitely. And then now I feel like we really should touch on the privacy issue because you know, the management of data, Holochain for me really solves privacy because mm. it's you get to choose where you want to put that information. Do you want to put it on a shared distributed hashtag or shared database that might then feed into we haven't even touched on the commons in this conversation and that's mm. the whole conversation yes. itself which is uh, beautiful do you want to describe how privacy is managed in in holochain and and yeah maybe one of the, the mod i guess holohost is a module that other people will use as well in a way yeah, and privacy is going to be a little bit different on Holo because those people are visiting from the web, and so they've got to store that data on a on a host's device rather than on their own device. Help ensure privacy of shared data. So only I have the key to be able to recombine that data in a way that's useful. Um, can be one of the ways to solve that problem. But having this ability to like do a knob and dial on it, like. What do I want to be absolutely private that only I have access to? What do I want to have in the DHT of just like my family group? They can all have access to this information. And what am I wanting to put in a a broader context? Like the fact that I would be able to make choices about that or that that would be transparent to me what the consequences of are um, feels like it increases the amount of agency that we have around it. And, and then you mentioned the commons, right? Because the commons is actually about sharing the information, right? If we want to have a data commons, if we want to have a knowledge commons, we all want to be able to hold those things together. Mm-hmm. And so what are the permission structures that allow for us to like, I contributed this piece and I'm acknowledged for having contributed it, but it's now held in a commons that's shared resource for everybody. So it's not a one-size-fits-all solution, right? It's allowing the adjustability based on what is the information, what is the application, and and what's right for that specific thing. Yeah, and I mean, the, the commons is how we, I guess, we accumulate the information that is important for all parties to create, to be informed about creating better ideas or building the next part of society or solving problems that we couldn't solve in the past because we're not communicating or sharing in a way that, yeah, it works. And now, you know, now that, that you've got the this, this capacity of what distributed hash tables can provide, like this amazing way to uh, sort of like solve the hosting issue in a way because it, you know, mm. definitely 
I feel like, I mean, it's definitely like become a developer's dream mm. platform to build on. Can we talk about like medical stuff for a minute around oh. privacy? Because I think it's a fantastic example of an area in which like I really want to have my own data. And right now when I go to the doctors, right, they own, they have the records mm. and they're not mine. Um, and then I have to call around and sign things in order to like, oh, this doctor needs to see me while I'm traveling. Um, to be able to say, I carry my medical records and I can give temporary permission to somebody else to access those records. Huge, right? Like I find myself in Istanbul. I would like my doctor in Istanbul to be able to access my records for the three days that I'm here because I'm getting treated for my foot or whatever. That seems really helpful. Or, oh, I've got, you know, um, some medical disorder that I actually want to share the information about my experience and so I'm keeping records on how it's affected my weight or, uh, you know, how much I'm able to go for a walk every day because it's a muscle issue. And I could share those records in a way that could be anonymized and thus a collective could be using that information in a commons in order to help address that health concern. And currently we don't have a permission structure that allows that kind of sharing. Like it's too convoluted, like legally convoluted to be able to make those agreements. And it's hard for me to actually put that information into a shared space and have it feel safe that it's not going to come back on me. And so having like the structure to be able to do that kind of medical sharing that could improve medical records for all of us and medical science innovation while also maintaining my integrity about the privacy of the information that I don't want shared uh, feels like it's that alone could be super powerful. Mm, yeah. And that's definitely not, hasn't been something that's actually been solvable in the current technology landscape. I'm originally a, a biomedical engineer and so, <laughs> so I have this small background in the medical industry. So what's coming to my brain is that like, so now, You'd be able to sure have go and have your treatment, have you hold your own medical records, but you might also choose and maybe even get paid to just put some of the details, remove your name and any type of uh, identifying information of those records, and put them in a commons for a country to build a picture of what's really going on in the medical industry and how we can. Is that is that seem about that's um, that's definitely the possibilities that I see now possible. Yes. Is there yes. any and not, you know I'm I'm dreaming in a pretty way that's not like, dealing with like and what's the current legal regulation of that in your country and you know the the protections that people have tried to put into place. I'm speaking particularly about what te the technology could be able to do, and I'm sure there would have to be some regulatory push to get some of that stuff actually changed. Well, there's yeah, like the the reg for me the, the regulatory bodies they're another group of people which is always made up of us. But they also have their agent-centric approach and their joint decisions that forms a policy. So I can see how there's going to be the agent-centric approach will help a regulatory body and help existing countries with their own existing rules mm. basically implement their rules better, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. So that's beautiful. So. And that's all been born out of this whole agent-centric approach that Holochain has in, invented or it actually has taken from nature. Mm. So I just wanted to ask for a product developer, what is the most important message that you want people in the world to sort of understand? Maybe maybe there's lots of important messages and that's my brain's been filled with that, but maybe something that comes to mind in this moment that 
someone who wants to get started in Holochain, uh, what would be I get so tripped up by the most important. Mm, yep. Right. Of like, that's going to take a long time for me to weigh all the things together. I don't have a quick and dirty answer for most important. We talked about agent centric. That's important. We talked about the, the plethora of currency um, that matters. Um, yeah, I'm very concerned lately with developer engagement and how more developers can come on board. And I'm thinking of like some developers are going to love like having to learn Rust and the difficulty of mastering that task and really building whole chain things from scratch. And others are just going to want to build on top of like how are we packaging things that makes it easy for people to be building on top of um, in a way that's highly composable and yet can be quickly customized for the person that's working on it. So, yeah, I, I'm trying to create an environment in which it's easy for anybody to find a place to take a, you know, and get a foothold into movement. But that's not a one path fits everybody. And so when you're like, what's the most important thing? And like, I'm not going to homogenize everybody into yeah. one it's like it depends where you are and what the next step on your path is towards this larger world. You certainly spoke to me just then. Like I felt like you just spoke directly into my brain. <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy that wants to go and look at all the modules and try and bring them together. Uh, but then what was coming to my mind is like, oh, wow, there's going to be a whole ecosystem and a currency behind that on people building Rust modules or, you know, eventually as it moves to... Other, by the way, for people on the call, Rust is uh, one of the, the native sort of smart contracting language, which is uh, yeah, a beautiful choice. You'll be able to eventually write smart contracts in TypeScript, JavaScript, which was a very popular language on the internet. So yeah, there sounds, there's going to be all these ecosystems of people. There's going to be sub-ecosystems of people doing smart contracts and standardizing those in, in the, in the uh, Holochain world. And then there's also going to be people just bringing together groups of smart contracts and 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 so what's also coming to my mind is yes no homogenization we are really touching on the iceberg or just the tip of so many different topics and there's a world there's an entire universe to discover about what's happening here in this movement yeah i mean you started the call talking about tcp ip and it's you know some of the questions you're asking it's like and how would i have answered right at the beginning of TCP IP, what's possible? How does that work? You know, like lots of things will go wrong. Lots of things will be really interesting. Much of it will go far beyond what I've imagined. You know, like. Yeah. So the, there's no real answer to that question, except that there is more questions to ask and, and, and there's a the world to discover there. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to create surface area. That, that reference might might slide by you. That's a nature thing. Like nature works hard to create surface area. It's a more thing. The more possibilities that can unfold, surface area creates possibilities. Mm. What's a basic example of surface area? I'm thinking of like the texture of a leaf and how that can influence photosynthesis. Mm. And the bigger the leaf, 
the more photosynthesis. It's not just about the size of the leaf. It can also be about the number of folds in the leaf. So does it have this rich texture or the way that the brain works is optimizing the amount of surface area for connection. Like how do you fit all of the brain inside your head is it's got tons and tons of surface area, but it's folded and folded and folded. Right. Wow. So that's, that's how uh, comprehensive the Holochain community is. <laughs> how, can, how can people get in contact with you or, you know, how can people follow the work that you're doing? So I'm currently working on commonsengine.org and that's one of the pathways. And then I'm on holo.host, which is the, the main platform that's supporting the growth of Holo and Holochain. Cool. So that's awesome. Thank you very much, Jean, for your time today. Mm. Uh, you've just opened up my world. You know, I'm sure it's going to be. And you were already excited about Holochain. I know, but you know, it gets deeper and deeper. You know, <laughs> and then you're like, wow, these people—they—they—they they, they have thought that they've done so much thinking and non-thinking. Like they're just uh, part of the the solution to the world's problems in a, in a beautiful way. So thank you. Trying to create the container by which solutions can arise more than like knowing what the right solution is. Mm. Right? Like how do we create an ecosystem? Because maybe we need trees and bushes, not just all trees. That's not an ecosystem. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to this first podcast about Holochain. I hope it was both thoughtful and inspiring. We will be hosting more podcasts on Holochain activities and projects in the coming weeks. If you have any feedback on how we can improve this podcast or what you would find helpful in understanding this technology stack, please email holochainpodcast at gmail.com.